Hey, before we get started, if you are ready to pass your exams and become a licensed architect, you're going to want to listen to this. We are revolutionizing architectural education. It is my goal and mission to help as many people as possible become licensed architects while still maintaining their happiness. So introducing the architecture of play. This is our secret podcast series that will transform the way you study and prep for your ARE. Imagine having a happy work-life balance while also pursuing your dream of becoming a licensed architect. I promise you, it is possible. Our seven-episode private podcast gives you exclusive access to the secrets that can make this dream a reality. Remember, the more fun you have, the more likely you are to pass your exams and become a licensed architect. Start listening today at dci.beyoungdesign.com slash secret podcast. Don't miss out. This is going to transform your exam prep and help you enjoy the process of becoming a licensed architect. All right, enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, welcome to Design, Create, Inspire. I have an amazing interview for you today. It is with Aaron Prince. He is the creator and host at the podcast Designed. It's design colon ed. So definitely go check him out. He does some amazing interviews, much better than me. (laughs) He interviews some of our top architects of today. So some of maybe your heroes. So definitely go check out his podcast. But today I had him on because I wanted to talk about I just love hearing other people's stories of how they got into architecture, where they're taking it. Because as I've said in many times, architecture is very multifaceted. So you can become an architect or get an architecture degree and take it in so many different directions. So, you know, like people I've talked to in the past become furniture designers or podcast hosts. So you're going to love today's episode We talk all about getting started in a career that's totally different than architecture and somehow falling into the architectural career. We talk about getting up and um, standing in front of audiences and talking and the power of networking and the power of standing next to someone and chatting with them is just as important as performing for them or giving a presentation to them. And then also Aaron and I are from similar places up in Northern California. Well, I'm from San Diego, but I went up to Chico State. That's where I met my husband. That's where all my in-laws are from up in Paradise and Chico. And Aaron is from a little town just north of Chico called Red Bluff. And so we, uh, you know, it's a fun little area that not many people really know about or don't really associate or they don't really think about these areas when they think of California. So it was nice to talk to a fellow NorCalian. I don't know. So definitely enjoy and please reach out to both Aaron and myself and let us know what your favorite parts of today's episode were. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to Design Create Inspire. I am excited as always, because today I have on with me Aaron Prince. 
So thank you so much, Aaron, for being with me. Oh, Brian, that's quite the quite the introduction there. Oh my gosh. Okay. Oh, that's nothing. That was, that was only the no serious formal right off the bat. It's typically okay. We're doing it. We're going. We're doing it. We're here. So you and I connected. I don't even know how long ago, but pretty much via Instagram, right? That's how we kind of uh, the Instagram friends. <laughs> Correct, and I think that you know, there's like a there is a podcast network out there. I think you yeah. can say of people that are all kind of doing the same thing, and I think it's they, there's like a weird underlying competitiveness. I don't know if you feel that way, but I feel that <laughs> no. way among among podcasts. And so I try to like. I can come off a little salty, but I'm trying to be like as least competitive as possible and like reach out and talk to people and understand like we all have like a similar common goal, if that makes sense. So um, that's, that's my goal, I think, with the Instagrams. With podcasts, it is so kind of one sided. I mean, you do a lot of interviews and we'll get get into all that and your, your story and everything, but um, it is really can feel like we don't see our audience. So I think it's really nice creating this kind of network of other people who do the same thing. Like I talk with the girls at open plan podcast who do similar thing. And it's just nice having everyone's support. And what I've realized is each podcast only has so many episodes. So if we promote everyone else, then when they're done binging our show, then they can go support our friends. So exactly. That's, that's the goal at least. Yeah. Right? Like I think about it, but so tell people a little bit about you and your story. I always like people to get a little general idea of who you are, mm-hmm. kind of what got you in this industry and where you're at now. Oh boy. I got into architecture about the least efficient way possible. It's like the least architect sort of story. Um, I grew up in Northern California, not too far from where you went to school, uh, near Chico, Redding, like really far Northern California. Um, not a lot happening up there at all. Um, I, as you're, I, I know aware it. <laughs> of. Yeah. Uh, and I went to the university of Oregon right out of, right out of high school. And I didn't really know what I was going to do. I majored in German cause I could speak German cause I studied abroad and I was kind of this angsty little German kid. And I, I dropped out after a year and really the only thing I wanted to do since I was like 10 years old was be a stand-up comedian. And so oh, I really? used to, yeah, I used to listen to like my grandma would record like all these comedy specials for me, bring them over every Saturday morning. And I would just like memorize them. And I'd do the talent show with like other people's material and all this stuff. So since I was like a little kid, that's all I wanted to do. Um, so I dropped out of school, working at a grocery outlet, very Northern California sort of job experience. And uh, I just hopped in my car one night and drove down to Sacramento to do an open mic at Laughs Unlimited Comedy Club. And then I just started doing that like every every twice a week every other day I was driving down there oh dang so, what is that it, like a two-hour drive it's about a two-hour drive and yeah. so I did that for two years I put like 80,000 miles on my car just driving back and forth for five minutes of stage time at a time and oh then, my gosh uh, eventually moved to San Francisco and I had I've been kind of like I've had this sort of entrepreneurial sort of lifestyle for a while and so I was doing everything in San Francisco I, I worked at a bank I drove Lyft. I pretty much did everything to keep the the comedy dream alive. And I know this is not like related to architecture, but this is no, it's good. It's story. It it Um, always is somehow related. (laughs) Well, so what I started doing was I was just I saw all the people that you know when you do open mic comedy or you know in stand up, there's a lot of back rooms at Chinese restaurants and 
empty bars and these sort of things. And I was watching all these people putting all this energy into their open mic and they're making literally no money at it, but they're spending, you know, the resources to talk to the bar. It's like, it's a, it's an endeavor to do that. And so I just found that you could go up to Reading Red Bluff Chico and you can rent an 800 person theater for $900. So, and no one else is doing comedy up there. And so I had this whole scheme where I found three sponsors, grocery outlet, uh, my previous employers, all these sort of people, they each gave me $300. I gave them a dollar per ticket. And then the headliner, they're all my friends. The headliner got $3. The feature got $2. And then I opened the show for free. So selling $15 tickets. So I'm profitable at ticket one, essentially, was sort of the business model. And it's a funny, funny story. The first show I did, Tom Hanks' mom, I don't know if you know this, before she died, lived in Red Bluff like my hometown. Oh, no way. And so, yeah. And so he was raised in the Bay area, but divorced and she moved with, I don't know exactly, but so he would come to town occasionally. And so Tom Hanks bought the doors for the theater. And on the morning of my first show, he was in town and he stopped by to look at the doors. And a friend of mine from high school said, Hey, Tom Hanks, what are you doing here? And he said, Oh, I'm here to buy my tickets for the comedy show tonight. As if Tom Hanks buys tickets probably for anything. So Jake Park, tweet puts this out on Facebook it gets shared a bunch and we sold like 500 tickets the first night and so oh it was like my God. right off of the bat like those last day because everyone thought Tom Hanks was going to be there even me I was like looking at it like that yeah he didn't show Maybe up he was secretly he, there no he wasn't Tom Hanks doesn't secretly sit in the back <laughs> amongst true. the peasants of Red Bluff are you that's kidding true. me <laughs> yeah the whole town came out yeah the whole town <laughs> came out so uh that was like how I got started and then that's- you know there was, it was sort of a journey of like some, some shows made money, some shows I lost a lot of money. And it was sort of this sort of path I did for a couple of years. Um, and I got to the point where I was like 25, 24, 25, not exactly happy with that anymore. Not really driving. I didn't want to be like 35 and still driving 80,000 miles a year or whatever it was. Um, and so my dad was doing spec houses in Red mm. Bluff and I was like, oh, I'll just work for him. And so I got into architecture out of laziness. And so I just took a Revit class at the community college and then just kept going. And, you know, at the time when I transitioned, transitioned to back to college, when I went to college, when I was like 26, um, at the time, it felt like it was such like a big failure at the time because my identity back home was so linked to the stand-up guy. And I was the guy that always did stand up and blah 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 I could probably go home and people someone would ask me how stand-up's going or something like that and I haven't done stand-up in eight years you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and so I had this thing like oh I failed and it's so stupid because I'm like way more successful than I would have (laughs) been but I think it's worth noting that everything I'm doing now with architectural record and design and the podcast and all that is all based and all rooted in that stand-up in those Mm -hmm. stand-up years it just Mm -hmm. came out I use those skills that I learned back then, even booking guests, because I was booking talent to come and play these shows. So it was like everything I learned I've been doing for 12 years. So yeah, it all comes, it all comes around is the point. You know what I mean? Well, it's so fascinating because exactly what you're saying, like sometimes people don't realize like it, like you're saying, like it can feel like a setback or a failure or whatever, but everything we do is like little milestones or, or, or stepping stones to set us up for whatever is meant to be in the future. So like you're saying how it's not related in a way it's totally related because you do feel comfortable talking with people, having conversations, booking guests, like you're saying, putting yourself out there to even 
get on the radar of those types of people and, and guests and everything. So that's incredible. And I think it's very interesting too, um, not be having architecture on your radar at all and then going into it and, and sticking with it because it's not an easy, it's, it's definitely not an like, Oh, maybe I'll just like go to architecture and like, have oh. it easy. <laughs> the first class, like I, cause I didn't have a job. I like killed community college. No problem. Transferred <laughs> to Portland state as fast as possible. And the first class Mark Kovit, it was a summer studio I had to take to like catch up. Basically, it was a drawing class. And he had us read Kenneth Frampton's Critical Regionalism. Have you read that? I I think I had to read excerpts of it, probably okay. knowing me did not read the whole thing. I have like the reading ability of like a seven-year-old. And so I was like, I read this like six times and I was like, maybe I just quit. Maybe this is like not for me. I cannot understand. And I I haven't talked to Kenneth Frampton. I almost had him on the podcast just to vent critical regionalism to him in person. You have to. I know. I know. It's probably my duty. No, I just think it's so great for other people to hear this. First of all, you can get started in anything, but architecture specifically when you're 26. Like I I have heard uh, or I've had people reach out to me like via Instagram and, and say, you know, I'm in a job. I'm in my late twenties. I hate it. I've always wanted to do architecture. Is it too late? Should I go for it? it's like, yeah, if you're into it, do it because 10 years are going to pass no matter what. So might as well do something that you love. I think, you know, I've talked to a fair amount of people that are pretty well known. And I think the most interesting characters that I talk to all had a life before architecture Mm. and like none of them at least like the big names with a few exceptions really just like high school college Mm -hmm. maybe they did but even when they're doing that their interests are like elsewhere you Mm -hmm. know what I mean like Tom Kundig was a big climber everything's rooted in the landscape blah 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 it all comes and ties together at the end if that makes sense yeah it's that's so important for people to realize like we and especially architecture, it's so multifaceted. You could go in so many different directions, whether it's, you know, just, you know, doing a podcast or talking to people or designing or building furniture. It's so multifaceted and it's so important to have the other hobbies because if you're just like one-sided, you're probably not going to be a great designer. And you're leading, you're setting me up perfect for all my beefs I have with architecture school. Okay. Because let's, let's, from day let's get one, into it. Let's get it. So day one the the sort of narrative is you're going to be here like a hundred hours a week whatever and like if you're not like fully focused on architecture then you know you're not a real architect and we can solve any problem that's ever been created in the history of the world until the, the end of mankind and that's simply just not true and I think looking at it it's almost like you're designing for people and people have other experiences that aren't a hundred hours a week in architecture school. So how are you supposed to design for people if you're not experiencing those things for yourself and understanding what people do and what they're interested in. And so I think all of these things come hand in hand. If you're so like laser focused and okay, theory, all that stuff is important, but so is like actually experiencing the world that you're going to be designing for. hundred percent. And that is why I tell people all the time, if you're in school, have hobbies, have a job, have a social life while you're taking the ARES too, because all that stuff sets you up 
to be such a better designer. And like in school, uh, I, I recently posted about architecture school being on this one article, who knows really what it, you know, the weight of it, but the architecture school was like the number one, the hardest major. And because so many people like spend all nighters and, and all that stuff. And I had someone reach out to me and say, I don't know why this culture of architecture school is still going on where we're supposed to pull all nighters and, and do all that. She said, I did really well in school, but I never pulled an all nighter. And, you know, I made sure that I played soccer so that I had something else to force me out of the studio. And, and that's what I used to always say too, is I worked so that I had to be done with studio at a certain time. And it, it forced me into, uh, you know, a path, but then also it was helpful because I was getting all my hours and, and all that stuff. Like you have to be into other things than just school. Otherwise it's just, you, it ends up being harder. And the all-nighter thing is at the, the times I have stayed overnight are the least productive nights I've ever had yeah. because everyone's there. Some people are drinking, some people are just talking. It's the time to go out and socialize. And my ex-girlfriend, her uncle was a partner at the Smith group in San Francisco and so he told me, he was like, I was like, Hey, I'm going to architecture school. And he was like, well, this is your job. So treat it like a job. So I got up at six. I took a shower. I went to work, got the studio at seven 30, ran through all my school, did studio work went home at six o'clock, ate dinner, made dinner with my you know, wife, ate dinner, watched some TV. She'd go to bed. I'd stay up at the podcast till two in the morning and then move on. But the thing is, it's your job. Like if you're going to do it, it's your job. No one works the night shift by choice. (laughs) No one is like, Oh, what hours do you want to work? You're like, Oh, 10 to six in the morning. That sounds great. Like no one says that. So I don't know why it's prioritized differently when it's your own choice. Well, I think exactly like you're saying is there's a huge social aspect to it. And I do feel like I was like, you know, the loser that went home at seven after studio because you know and people would be like you're not gonna come hang out and like stay and it's like I can't I I well I can't you also went to Chico State so the fact that you're you're conscious at the time I think really says a lot and uh you know yeah Madison Bear Garden isn't gonna keep itself in business Bren so (laughs) I was very good I was very studious (laughs) that's true Chico's got a little bit of a reputation okay so Red Bluff to Oregon, but then you ended up in Texas. Yeah. So essentially, you know, you have to have your master's. And so there's only so many accredited schools. I did pretty well in undergrad. And so we pulled out the list. My wife is uh, pretty successful with her own job. So it doesn't make sense to like have her leave that to go into debt, to go into architecture school. So we just, I took a red highlighter. She took a yellow one. We highlighted the cities we wanted to live in. And Austin was on the list and I got in and the visit campus weeks or whatever was back to back from here in university of Michigan. So I came to Austin. It was like 80 degrees outside. Everyone's like drinking outdoors on patios. And I was like, this is, this place is amazing. And I had the worst flight of my life from Austin to Ann Arbor or Detroit, where basically the stewardess where the pilot basically was like, the flight attendants are not getting out of their seat. We're wishing for the best. Hopefully we see you in a couple hours. And it was like, I was in a middle seat. It was so bumpy and I got outside and it was April 
and I walked out of the airport in Detroit and it, it was hailing. And I called my wife and I was like, I don't even need to see the school. I don't even need to know what's happening. Like, and so I picked it up out of weather. And honestly, like my wife has more uh, possibilities to stay after school in Austin than she does in Ann Arbor, if that makes sense. So nothing against Ann Arbor or Michigan, um, except for those things that I just Isn't it so funny how one single change in that situation could have changed like the whole trajectory of your life? Yeah, but if it wasn't hailing, if the if the weather was decent and there wasn't turbulence, I mean, maybe not. You probably, I mean, Austin's pretty awesome. You kind of uh, teased it a little bit, saying that you would be up till two a.m. working on the podcast. So Mm -hmm. you started your podcast in twenty eighteen. Yeah, after the summer after my first year of grad school. Okay, so twenty eighteen was pretty. I mean, there were tons of podcasts going, there's been podcasts forever, but I feel like 2018 is kind of like the, on the newer side. Cause I still like, I feel like it's still kind of on the newer side, which is surprising. I don't know. Maybe I feel like we're really getting into it now, but 2018 was definitely a little bit more new for podcasts. Do you agree? Especially for architecture. Yeah. Like I had listened to like a lot of comedy podcasts and Mm -hmm. Mine was kind of originally loosely based off of off of a comedy podcast. And what really, yeah, when I started, I would go on Instagram and I would do like hashtag design podcast and it would say like fewer than a hundred posts. Yeah. And now it's like more than 10,000 or something like that. So I don't think I'd be as successful if, if I had started a year later, if that oh, makes sense. And so I think I was right on the cusp of like, it's now or never. And I think even now, like the guests I get, I think if I was to reach out in the way I reached out originally, I don't think I would have booked them the same way because I think there are so many and it's like, Oh, another podcast, uh, blah, blah. Cause back then no one was asking for numbers. No one was asking for anything. And now it's a little more like, we'll give you an hour, but we need to make sure it's kind of worth their time. If that makes right. Sense. It's going to, yeah, it's going to go somewhere or be heard. Mm-hmm. So you started out, did you always intend for it to be interview based? Hey, before we get started, if you are ready to pass your exams and become a licensed architect, you're going to want to listen to this. We are revolutionizing architectural education. It is my goal and mission to help as many people as possible become licensed architects while still maintaining their happiness. So introducing the architecture of play. This is our secret podcast series that will transform the way you study and prep for your ARE. Imagine having a happy work-life balance while also pursuing your dream of becoming a licensed architect. I promise you, it is possible. Our seven-episode private podcast gives you exclusive access to the secrets that can make this dream a reality. Remember, the more fun you have, the more likely you are to pass your exams and become a licensed architect. Start listening today at dci.beyoungdesign.com slash secret podcast. Don't miss out. This is going to transform your exam prep and help you enjoy the process of becoming a licensed architect. All right, back to the episode. Yeah, so the, the original intent, and this has changed a little bit, I'd say in the last like two years or so, was so I had a theory class with this guy named Larry Speck 
Um, he's like an Austin legend. He did like the whole downtown master plan of Austin and he's the community center, everything he's or convention center. He's done everything. Um, but there's so many people and you meet, you can't throw a rock in the architecture community here without someone's career starting with, well, this one time I met Larry Speck and he said, I should go do blah, 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 blah. He's like that type of person. So he teaches a theory class at the university of Texas. And the last day of the class, um, Wendy Dunham Tita, who's works at page, very wonderful, wonderful person. Uh, came to our class and actually just talked about her story. And I was sitting there listening and I was like, this should just be a podcast about how she got into it. And so that's how I started was like hearing the stories of how people got into kind of the career that they're into. And it's evolved a little bit. Now we do more like project-based stuff and all that sort of stuff. But that was kind of the original intent. And honestly, probably the best career move I could have made, honestly, at this point. Yeah, I mean, you've talked to some of, our time's biggest architects, really. I mean, arguably, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's so incredible just to even, you know, we read all of their, uh, you know, like you say, the books and the stories and and hear about it. And so to be able to sit and actually have a conversation with, you know, some of these people is really incredible. Yeah, I think, you know, you're talking about the big names. Those are, I would say, the easier interviews. Interesting. In my opinion. Because they're they're used to it or they're used to it and the setup can be a little more, you know, talking to Bjark. There was probably 40 emails exchanged mm. before he actually got on the call. And even those calls, I'm like supposed to be at 10 and I'm sitting there at like 955. Like, I don't know if this is really gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna not go to work today and block out my schedule and maybe he'll show up and then he shows up and I'm like, oh wow, okay, it all worked out. And then I'm like, hopefully Zoom doesn't, you know, like you cut out. Hopefully, hopefully, I press record. hopefully all this stuff happens. <laughs> but they're honestly like I would it's really easy to get caught up in the names, but they're yeah. the easiest sort of people. And I think that mentality in my opinion is the reason they're where they are because people like them people like working with them they can talk to people they know how to do that well I've, I've always been a big fan of uh just talk you know just a good honest conversation and that's why I love podcasts because I feel like that's where you can have that and because I as well in the beginning was like okay well each each episode, I've got to come up with like an hour's worth of content. And then I realized that it was, it would overwhelm me. And so I'd end up not recording for like three months because I just, you know, once I realized, Hey, if it's five minutes long, whatever. Yeah. And that was my thing. It was not so much about like, Oh, it has to be this long. It was, it needs to come out every week. It doesn't come out every week anymore, but the consistency and, you know, those early, that first month, I think I had like 36 downloads or something like that. Like yeah. it was like so small, but I was like, I'm a podcaster now. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I do. And so it was just like every week. And if there was something came up and I couldn't, it was a re-release of another episode that I found. And then you just slowly build it, build it, build yeah. it. And you get five more listeners now, 10 more listeners. And it just builds into something bigger. Well, it's all about consistency with so much of content creation because it, it, you got to like stay on the radar and people, you, especially with podcasts, sometimes it's like, Oh, I didn't even realize that this person loyally listens to me every single week and they're wanting more content essentially. So having that consistency is so key. Well, it's also like you had asked me one time via Instagram, like, Oh, how do I stay motivated or or whatever it is? And for me, it's like, this is the job that I chose. Like no one else chose this job for me. And so I should treat it like 
a job, right? And there's a documentary, it's called Comedian, and it's Jerry Seinfeld. After the show ended, he retires all of his material and he starts fresh from like a five minute bit. And it's like him bombing for a really long time and all this stuff. And he talks about, he says like in 1979, he was sitting in New York City at a cafe and he was watching these construction workers go back from lunch. And he was like, if those guys, those guys don't want to go back to work, they, they would rather be done. And he's like, if they can put forth that amount of effort for a job that they probably don't want to do, like, if I actually want to do this, then I should be willing to put the effort forward. And I think, again, the reward is coming from that effort is people will find you if, mm-hmm. if you are good, you know, Barry Katz, old comedy manager says, like, if you're undeniable, you will not be denied. Like if you're creating something that people want, if the the audience will find you. Yeah. And if you're consistent, then there's more of it to, for them to be able to find more opportunities for them to find you, which is huge. So that, I mean, likely got, I I mean, I want to hear it from you, but I'm assuming that consistency being one of those earlier adopters, and then also maybe the names you had on, is that kind of how you got connected with architectural record? Yeah. I mean, if you look at the history of architectural record, it's been, and I'm not, I don't want to speak for them or anything like that. I'm, you know, not an employee, uh, but you know, they've been around like 125, 130 years. They're the oldest architecture magazine. I find that they are more dedicated to real architecture criticism and critiques and dialogue than other Hmm. maybe publications out there. And I think a merger of that with the guests I was having that are commonly featured guests on there, that it just worked so well. And I couldn't be honestly, like, I couldn't be more happy with the partnership that we have. They've been very wonderful to work with. They're, you know, they just keep doing what you're doing. We really like it and keep producing content and that's about it. So you can't really ask for more like yeah, it's ideal when you're looking for a partnership. And I had just had my son at the time. So it was like a little, I needed some sort of something to keep this going. And that's really what, what it was. By the way, everyone should go get a copy of Architectural Record for like $3 a month. You get a physical, like something delivered in your hands to your house. You get to turn the pages and look at the pictures. And Well, I mean, the way you have it set up too, with the interviews and everything, it's such an amazing networking opportunity and a way to uh, just meet people and build those relationships, especially in our industry is very important. I mean, really in a, a lot of business networking and having those relationships is important, but, um, you know, as I think especially in architecture, has this served you in any way, like outside of this, or is it just kind of fun conversations and. Whew, I think that's a tough situation. My wife and I have talked about this because I've, I've been at a few different firms in school and it's like, I wonder if, I don't know if this is the case, but sometimes it feels like I'm more well-known for this. So I'm given opportunities that, you know, I'm more well-known for like a talking versus a designer sort of aspect. And so people might not have like the proper understanding of things. I think it's important to understand that what you and I do with this sort of stuff, it's a networking business. It's not it is architecture based or design based or whatever it may be, but we're networking, right? Like Mm -hmm. we meet people. And to this day, that's been my biggest success. The first big firm that agreed to come on was Olsen Kundig. Mm -hmm. And they said, I was like, Hey, can I talk to Tom? And they were like, would you talk to Kevin Kudo King? And I was like, okay. 
And to this day, that's my, probably my best relationship I have, you know? So it's important that when you do get the opportunity, one, you do a good job and you do impress them and you do kind of make it worth their time and they need to see value in what you do. But in terms of my professional development, I don't know if it's helped me or not. I know a lot of people. I can, I can text a lot of people about jobs. I still apply the same way anyone else would apply. I just maybe am a little more, more well-known in that regard. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. That's, I mean, I think networking is huge, especially, I mean, I already said it, but in architecture, really kind of knowing people, even just, I don't know, it, even just feeling comfortable being in social architectural situation type stuff, you know, I mean, it's just, it is nice. And it all goes back to the comedy thing. Like a lot of my, my career advice is all stems from comedy, but the smoking the cigarettes on the front porch of the comedy club is just as important as mm. the act that's inside the comedy club, because that person's going to have a show and they're going to ask you to do that show and so on and so forth. And that's how, you know, all the people I was booking at theaters, they all found their way through the front porch. And then I found promoters that put me on other theater shows because of my theater shows. And it's all the hang is just as important as the work itself. I mean, and I find that a lot too with knowing other architects, you end up having other architects refer you when they're really busy or anything like that. So just having that uh, relationship with them is huge. Okay, so you've interviewed, I mean, like some of my favorite architects, honestly, like Garrick Ingalls was, has always been super inspiring to me. Moshi Softy, him and his whole family have been super inspiring to me from like the beginning of my design days. And I was in Japan in 2017 and went to uh, Kengo Kuma's Nezu Museum and was just like, I want to live in this space. And so, I mean, it, the idea of like sitting in front of those people and, and actually chatting with them sounds amazing. But do you have any favorite interviews that you've done? Tom Kundig is my guy. I really love that guy. He, I, oh, it, I go back to architecture school. It bugs me so much when a kid would get up during his review and they're using juxtaposition and blah, 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 blah. Like we all didn't see you like drinking at the bar four <laughs> nights ago. You were not talking like you're some sort of highfalutin poet. Yeah. And it makes it so hard to understand what the main concepts are because you're focused so much on sounding so smart and so articulate and such an architect or whatever. And it's that to me is like the, the black turtleneck of architecture. Mm -hmm. And Tom comes out in a way where he's like, he's, you know, from kind of, I think he's from Modesto or Stockton or something. He grew up somewhere in that region. And so he talks like he's a rock climber that happens to be an architect. And to me it is so relatable. Mm -hmm. And I just, so I think yeah. Tom is, is on my list. And I think also one episode that really sticks out to me personally, I would say is the rebuilding of paradise mm. because I'm really big on giving credit where credit is due. And I'm born out of Northern California and mm -hmm. I didn't spend a lot of time in paradise. I did a couple of golf tournaments there in high school, but it's still Chico Redding, Red Bluff, Paradise, Yuba City. That whole region of California is sort of its own sort of thing. And so for people that don't know, essentially, I think it was 2018, 
uh, PG&E, Pacific Gas and Electric Company, didn't maintain some equipment and it sparked and started a fire in November, I want to say. It was like not fire season. It was November. But high winds, it burned the whole town of paradise down in like two hours. So you're, you're talking to a, a group of people that I think they said they build on average like 100 houses a year or something like that in paradise. And now they have to build 16,000 all at once or something like that. And it's like, it's an, and there's also like the sites were damaged because of all the pollutants that were washed into the soil and all this stuff. And really what you have is they're not what people think California people are like, you know mm. what I mean? Like they're not San Diego. They're not Los Angeles. They're definitely not San Francisco. It's your cowboys, your Southern cowboys. They're farmers. They're, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, I, I feel more in Texas in Northern California mm. than I do living in Texas. Yeah. And so I think it's important to understand. And it's so, it like baffles me in architecture school. Everything is like, oh, we're going to do all this philanthropy and good work and blah, blah, blah. And then a lot of people get out into the profession and no one does anything like that. And really what they have is you have a group of people that just need help. And like, even if it's like, here's a, here's a floor plan you can use, you know what I mean? That sort of stuff I think would really help. So being able to provide, even if, I don't know if anything came of it or if they were helped at all by doing the podcast, but by at least giving that little bit of exposure that I can Mm-hmm. I think to me is like one of my favorite episodes. Well, I think that is amazing because my husband's from paradise and my in-laws are uh, lost their home in the fire. So his, his home that he grew up in uh, burned down in the paradise fire. And it was really incredible. Uh, yeah. I'll never forget the day. It was November. I was actually down in the city waiting for a permit and I was watching it on the, the screen and then my sister-in-law called me and she's like, it's not good. And then, but my, my, uh, his parents were able to get out and they did lose their cat, but they were able to grab their dog. Um, but it was a, a, a year later, we went up there and saw the house and the area. And it was just insane that an entire town was just, it was turned into a ghost town and so what it was gone it was just like completely gone yeah yeah. and that's you know talking to charles and the people that i talked to on that episode you know he charles had said like he got his family out i think he was on a run or something when the fire broke out and they got to chico and he opened up his car and all he had was like soccer equipment because he coached the team and he was like oh well we can play soccer but we don't have a house and so he was like so proud to be like we're going to have soccer in paradise this fall. The kids are like, it was like a huge thing for them. Yeah. And so the fact of like the rebuilding, I think is really, really cool. It's really cool. And Ruben, uh, he was one of my professors in school and I talked to him afterwards and it's really cool how they're getting the design students at Chico state in, in incorporated in it and everything Mm -hmm. and, and giving them an opportunity to, uh, put together design concepts and everything. And there has been such a a beautiful community support, like you're saying, like not just paradise, but Chico and the whole surrounding area, like Sierra Nevada brewery, putting together, uh, an entire beer line to support the town. And it was a really great kind of community support in that. So that's awesome. I'm glad that that was one of your top ones. We didn't really talk about your actual work. I mean, I know this is work too, podcast, but um, are you, you work in an architecture firm as well? Yeah. I have and, a 
project designer role uh, that I'm currently in. I'm not licensed yet. Um, it's in the works, but I've worked for a few different firms. I've done government studio. I did some, I worked on some mental health facilities, um, a lot of hospitals. Mm-hmm. And then I went over to residential and I worked there, done some high rise work when I was at Gensler. And now I'm at a, at a firm here in Austin that does a mix. It's a lot of hospitality, but I find, you know, through every job, I learned something about what, because coming out of school, like who knows what you really want to do. Yeah. And so I've really found kind of, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. I'm going to figure it out. But I personally think the more private client facing roles to me are the most rewarding because they actually have like an emotional stake in the project. Mm. Um, and it's not so much, you know, an ROI or whatever it is. So seeing like someone's face light up when you show them a rendering and they're like, that's my house. And you're like, yeah, it is. That's your house. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I think that is kind of the, the most rewarding work that I've done. And so I don't, where am I going to be in 10 years? I don't really know. I'll probably be licensed working somewhere, um, yeah. but we'll see. Nice. That's awesome. Well, when you're not designing and interviewing world famous architects, what do you like to do? I hang out most of the time with my son. How old is he? He's two. So we're in like a really heavy, like no phase right now, but we're going to get through it. And (laughs) we're saying yes, and we're going to be happy. And so we're going to be a family again. Uh (laughs) Hey, that's how I feel about my five-year-old. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm losing my mind. <laughs> yeah. It's funny when my son was born, I had like this whole midlife crisis thing and I was on paternity leave. So I bought a skateboard and I started going to the skate park and I was like, I've never felt like such a dad in my life to have like wrist guards on. Like I would have laughed at myself 20 years ago to have wrist guards on. So, and so I'm not very good at skateboarding, but I really like to do that. And that's, that's I don't know, go that's swim, good. do stuff in Austin. I, I got to come out to Austin uh, sometime. I've, I've never been and I've heard it's amazing. And so we got to come out sometime. I'll let yeah, you know. So 108 degrees here, you know, 70% humidity. <laughs> no, it's, it's actually my, I, I really like it. And it's a little, it's becoming, even since I've lived here five years, it's a little more San Francisco than it used to be when I first moved here in terms mm-hmm. of people. But the thing about Austin is you can go out to like, well, it is a pretty nice restaurant in shorts and you look fine. You know what I mean? There's not really like a, a judgment or like ever you live in Southern California. I'm sure you're really aware of you yes. know, the, how you look, you got to look the part. Um, yeah. So there's not that in Austin, which I really, really enjoy. That's nice. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Well, where can people find you? I mean, we haven't even said the name of your podcast this whole oh. time. People are like, it's called designed and it's actually a funny, funny tip. I originally wanted it to be called designed, but when you put it in the iTunes, it wouldn't show up because it just pulled up design. Ah. So there's a colon between the E and the, or between design and the ED design education designed. And so iTunes, Spotify, architecturalrecord.com, Stitcher, wherever you're Twitch, maybe Twitch. I don't know. Wherever, wherever you listen to your podcasts, it's going to be there. So we come out, uh, first and third Monday of each month. Perfect. And Instagram, people can find you on Instagram at designed.podcast and, uh, send me a message and we can maybe end up here. Like we yeah. are. So. Awesome. Aaron. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And everyone go say hi to Aaron. Let him know what part of our 
little chat you enjoyed the most. All right. Thanks, Bren. Appreciate it. All right. It. Have a good one. You too.